Red Bridger, Pastor Vic Borden here, Red Bridge Baptist Church. As you know, recording what very well may be the last week of our time away. That's right. On May 24th, a week from this coming Sunday, we are planning to meet under the same roof at uh, the church house. Now, we can't all meet together. Uh, and plans are still being formulated, but be thinking about coming to church with God's people on Sunday, May 24th. More details about that coming up this coming Sunday, May 17th. But suffice it to say, we'll need to make a reservation. No, not because the government is going to get a head count or anything like that. We simply need to have a reservation so that we don't go up over our maximum allowed, which we believe is right at 100 people. So we're going to have a service at 9 a.m. and then one at 10.30 a.m., the very same service, back-to-back, -back, and more again on that coming up this Sunday. So it's not this Sunday, May 17th, that we're going to do that, but the following Sunday, May 24th is the plan. Now, to get into the final of three uh, lessons in a three-part series titled The Human Conscience, as you can see right here, The Human Conscience, uh, this, uh, to this evening is the liberation of the conscience. But before that, two weeks ago, we had part one the operation of the conscience, and we learned that the human conscience is so-called, it's that inner voice which speaks commendation when we do what is right, it commends us, or condemnation when we do that which we know is wrong. In fact, Romans chapter 2 tells us that whether you're saved or whether you're lost, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the human conscience is active and we inherently know, people inherently know that lying and murder and stealing and the like is wrong and our conscience accuses us when that takes place. We studied from Acts chapter 22 as you can see beginning in verse 24 through chapter 23 and verse 5. We studied that two weeks ago at length. We're not going to cover it again tonight. You can look at that text to get the, uh, the background, but it's the narrative of Paul who defended himself before the religious leaders and the Roman authorities because he was being terrorized simply for preaching the glorious grace uh, of, the, of the gospel of Christ, and he was persecuted for that. Well, Paul rebuked Ananias, who was the high priest at that time, and they confronted him about doing that, and his conscience accused him. You, you can read the passage, but his conscience accused him, and he repented of that. He confessed it. He repented of that because he came to find out that that was wrong to do that. That was part one. And then last week was part two, the violation of the conscience. So we had the operation of the conscience and then the violation of the conscience. And in that lesson, we learned that when one violates his or her conscience, intimacy with God is all but gone. Relational integrity 
with others is greatly a hindered and even one's own self takes a hit. It is damaging to our very own selves. And so God calls everyone to walk in a pure and in a free conscience. And we learned the key verse for that, Proverbs 28 and verse 13, it says, he that covers his sins, that is, when your conscience bothers you, as a lost person, you cover it, you alibi, you excuse, you ignore. That person's not going to prosper. And even as a believer, when the Spirit of God uh, living in your spirit grips you and convicts you, and you resist and you ignore, you're not going to prosper. But whosoever confesses sin, turns from it, repents, forsakes it, shall find mercy. So that is a key uh, to dealing with the conscience when it is accusing. So the operation of the conscience, the violation of the conscience, and this evening, the liberation of the conscience. Like Paul, maybe you would also acknowledge, I've done many, many evil things. Now, I've never actually committed an act of murder, but I've hated in my heart. Uh, maybe you have not knowingly blasphemed, and yet maybe there were vile thoughts uh, judging God, vile thoughts about other people, which has run through your mind. Well, we're to turn from that. And of course, you do so by the grace of God. And so how do you have a clear conscience? How can you actually attain and maintain a clear conscience? Well, let me offer, um, first of all, what not to do before we get into what one must do. First of all, what not to do. Resist and reject the temptation for self-effort. To say, well, I'm going to clean up my act. I'll try to do better. I'm going to pass a New Year's resolution or something along that line. There's going to be the temptation. When the conscience screams at you, there's going to be the temptation to work your way out of your distress, guilt or or self-pity, or, or blame uh, shifting, and all of that is going to come in like a flood. There's going to be that temptation. And the natural response will be to start bailing out the floodwaters with some kind of bucket of self-effort only to find that you can't bail fast enough. It's like struggling in quicksand. The more you struggle, the deeper you go. And the deeper you go, the more you're tempted to struggle. It's the dog chasing its tail. You know, remember the illustration of, of last week of the guilty conscience being like a dirty window and you can't see through that. And the warmth and the light from the sun doesn't shine through very well. Well, the temptation is to go through all kinds of efforts to clean that window. And all, all that happens is that you're smearing the dirt around. The window needs to be clean, but it 
makes a difference how you go about cleaning it. So resist the temptation of trying to work your way out of the bondage of a guilty conscience. Well, I know. I'll pray more. I'll read my Bible more. I'll I'll give more money to missions. No, no, a million times. No, all of that is self-effort. And the flesh profits nothing. I can't appease God. I can't buy off my conscience through my own effort, nor can you. Reject shifting the blame or embracing an alibi, um, those types of things. Self-effort will never result in a pure and a free conscience. Well, that's what's not to do. What can, what must a believer do in order to have that free and clear conscience? Well, let me uh, offer that you exercise in this way. Go through this spiritual exercise. You repent and you receive. Now, at salvation, a lost person repents of his sin and receives the grace of God by faith. In fact, Hebrews 10.22 says that the believer's heart is sprinkled from, sprinkled, of course, by the blood of Christ from an evil conscience. Now, how did that happen? It happened by responding to the grace of God through faith, and you ended up being utterly forgiven. Your debt was paid. God doesn't have you in bondage. He he says that you are uh, forgiven, and yet the devil will try to keep you in bondage all the time. When you do sin, when you do violate your conscience, he'll want you to run over to Mr. Self-Effort and try to get yourself out of that jam. Let me uh, offer some practical counsel, if you will, about this issue of repenting and receiving, turning from and turning to uh, the grace of God for a new day. First of all, when you go about doing this, major on the majors, Major on the majors. In other words, begin with the most severe issue in life first. Deal with that. That which is plaguing you. That which is haunting you. Deal with that first, I would recommend. The story is told of an eighth grade girl who went through this exercise of listing everyone uh, that she had offended. And she had 78 people on this list from whom she needed to ask forgiveness. Well, a friend knew this girl and knew this girl harbored all but hatred in her heart for her own mother and said, is your mother on this list? And the girl responded, oh, I will never forgive her. Ask her forgiveness. I'll never try to make things right with her. You see... What happened was this girl fell into the trap of religious compensation. Well, I'll do all these other goodies, and I want to do all of these other goodies, but I'm going to push aside. I'm going to ignore. I'm going to reject the one area 
with which God is dealing with me most significantly. She tried to distribute the majority of the guilt among the other people. Pride was keeping her in bondage because she would not humble herself before God and before her mother, who very well may have offended her, but she was harboring that unforgiveness. So begin with where you are haunted most in this area. Maybe it doesn't have to do with another person. Maybe it is entirely between you and the Lord. You are bitter toward God. You are indifferent toward the things of God. You you have grown stale. Maybe you've been robbing God of the offering that he says to bring to him. Any number uh, of things it could be. If your conscience, the spirit of God as a believer, is haunting you, then deal with what is first and foremost in your soul. Secondly, what assurance can I have that my conscience is clear? I need to gain assurance of a clear conscience. And how might you be able to tell if your repentance was genuine and complete? Well, if you have truly dealt with it, what evidence will there be which confirms it? Well, evaluate the type of remorse that you have when you think about that particular issue. If Are you characterized by sorrowful uh, remorse, that is soul uh, remorse, or are you characterized by resent, resentfulness? or even rage. There's a strong indicator that if it is godly sorrow, that is a heaviness on your heart, which motivates you toward being restored with God or with that person, or is it accusing, blame shifting, and the like? Scripture is very clear on this. It says it in 2 Corinthians 7, In verse 10, godly sorrow worketh repentance. That is, it energizes repentance. It's like plugging in the uh, plugging the cord into the outlet. It energizes repentance to salvation. Of course, that is for justification. If you don't know the Lord in this context, I believe it's speaking about deliverance from some bondage not to be repented of. In other words, you don't need to turn from that type uh, of sorrow, but the sorrow of the world, that is what unbelievers experience, that energizes to death because it is not adequate in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, to be sure, lost people can certainly feel bad about having done something bad, but it is not godly sorrow. Often it is feeling bad because of the consequences, the trouble I've gotten into because of it. So you can gain the assurance of a clear conscience by is your sorrow, which resulted in repentance, genuine because it motivates you to restoration with God and with your fellow man, or it does not do that. It's simply the sorrow of the world. Next, 
be intentionally discreet when resolving conflicts. Yes, we're always to address issues which are obvious and on the table. Certainly, you must address that. But be very careful not to increase the circle of knowledge unnecessarily. For instance, if I have road rage towards someone and I jump out of my car and start screaming and yelling, clearly I need to make that right with that person and whoever else was aware of it because it was more of a public type of sin. But if someone said or did something to me and I had had a, a moment of hatred in my heart for that person, no one else was aware of it, just the Lord. It doesn't help anyone for me to go and say to that person, uh, I just need to let you know that I really hated you in my heart for all these years, but now I've forgiven you. First of all, it sounds very pious, very self-righteous. And it, it in no way is going to help the relationship because that person wasn't even aware of it. And so be discreet when you are gaining a liberated conscience that you do not unnecessarily increase the circle of knowledge if, it, if you don't need to do that. Next, recognize that when you go to make this right with uh, another person, you might not be received by that other person. <laughs> it's kind of like I, I say to folks, especially young people, love God, hate sin, and watch out for trucks. <laughs> Why? Well, you can love God and hate sin, but that guy driving the truck might not be loving God and hating sin. So you still need to be prudent. You still need to walk in wisdom. Well, just recognize that even though you have sought to make everything right, you might not be received and you can't help that. All you do, uh, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, check that, chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, you do what Jesus did. You commit yourself unto him and him alone who judges righteously. So recognize that you can't change others, but you can sure live by the grace of God. Next, something about un, the unconverted, that is lost people. What do they do? Well, if you're a lost person, if you don't know Christ, if you've never been forgiven, if you're not a child of God, recognize that you stand guilty before the Lord. Your conscience bears witness of this and you don't have any assurance of everlasting life. You have a fear of death. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's coming. And you don't even maybe know how you can know. There's no power over sin. There's no deep hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, yet, according to Romans 2 and verse 15, your conscience still accuses you about breaking God's moral law. I want to give you a strong warning, a very sober warning written a long time ago by a theologian named John Blanchard. Listen to, to, to what he wrote. Things will be very different in hell for those who have numbed their consciences here on earth. You see, your conscience has been accusing you all your life. 
but you suppress it and suppress it and suppress it till it's now numb. You've almost become used to it. Their consciences will be their worst tormentors, nor will there be any way in which they can be stifled or silenced, that is, the conscience can't be. As John Flavel wrote in the 17th century, conscience, which should have been the sinner's curb here on earth, that is, curbing your uh, what you do, becomes the whip that must lash his soul in hell. Neither is there any faculty or power belonging to the soul of man so fit and able to do it as his own conscience. He said, nothing is more fit or able to lash you for eternity about what you did and what was provided in Christ, and yet you turn from him. That which was the seat and center of all guilt now becomes the seat and center of all torments. Folks, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Scripture says God does not take delight in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his wicked ways and live. And so I called you, I exhort you to repent and receive. Turn from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus. Call upon him. Lord Jesus, save me, forgive me, make me your own. I'm turning from my own way. I'm turning from self-effort, from religion, and falling on the mercy of God in Christ alone to forgive me, to save me, to make me a child of God. Turn to him again. I remind you of Proverbs 28, 13. If you're going to cover your sin, excuse it, alibi, blame shift, deny, you're never going to prosper. It's not going to be beneficial, not in the long run. But that one who does confess, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, confess and forsake, turn from your own way and turn to his way, that person will find mercy, mercy in the love and mercy of the Lord Jesus. Turn to him even now. Turn to Christ today while you still have breath. The human conscience, it operates. It can be violated but it can be, yea, it must be liberated. And that is only experienced in the mercy of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this reminder that we've seen in this text in Acts, as well as in various verses. Even this final one we looked at in Proverbs chapter 28, that we can find mercy when there's confession, repentance, turning from our own way and turning to you. Lord, would you touch the heart of every listener of this uh, presentation and grant faith to trust you, repentance to turn from his or her own way 
And Lord, would you save those even now whose hearts are crying out to you. Bless this study about the human conscience. And Lord, may we be more sensitive, more and more, to your will and way for our lives, all our days. Lord Jesus, be glorified in our lives. In your blessed name, we do pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me for this three-part series on the human conscience. Trust it has been uh, informative and a blessing to you. God bless you.